This is Stan and Carl with A Word Fitly Spoken. This is a privately funded podcast, and yet we need your support. Not with money, but with your prayers. That this ministry accomplishes two things. One is that we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And second, that this is a platform for Christians to be able to tell their story. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and like us. This makes our podcast much easier for others to find on Stitcher and iTunes and iHeartRadio and anywhere that podcasts are playing. This recording and the material within it is copyrighted and any rebroadcast or use of the material without expressed written consent is strictly prohibited. and welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken with Carl and Stan. We are here to bring you the good news, give some reports from the local mission field, and to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So sit back, listen, and enjoy A Word Fitly Spoken. Well, hello everybody and welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken. And uh, today's a very special day for us. Uh, normally, when we broadcast, we're broadcasting from Winds Baptist Church. But today, Carl and I got to go on a road trip. And we're at the Rockville Library, and we're meeting with two very special people today, uh, Tom Lacey and his wife. Uh, they're here today, and Tom's going to tell us his story. And I'm very excited about this. He's one of the, one of the elders in our church whom I have just a tremendous amount of respect for uh, his uh Knowledge, uh, theology is just phenomenal. It's helped me many times with my Sunday school class. And I'm looking forward today to just hear how Tom came to know the Lord. And Tom, I I know you've got uh, your notes there for you. And uh, we're just going to get out of the way and let you tell your story and uh, and go from there. So go for it. All right. Thank you. Uh, If I gave this talk a title, I would say Transformed Instantly saved eternally. As I began to pull certain events in life together for this interview, I realized the two primary events or aspects regarding my personal testimony hinged on two Thursdays in my life. One, if I had carried it out, would have happened June 29, 1967, And the second event did happen on January 19th, 1976, which I will expand expand, uh, on later. By Thursday, June 29th, 1967, my life was too complicated to explain to others and at times for me to understand. At age 34, I had reached the point in life I felt my family would be better off without me. On that day, my thoughts were not focused on heaven or hell as my final destination resulting from my pending action. Relief from the turmoil of life was my goal. And this was one way I knew to attain it. Suicide only makes sense to those contemplating it 
as the only solution to their problems. Today, as a crisis counselor, I say suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. In reality, I probably had more positives than negatives going for me, but I was too tired of dealing with the pressures of life to grasp that thought and hold on to it. We, that is, my former wife, who in 1980 left the marriage and died January the 4th, 2000, had the five children we wanted to as quickly as was safe to do so. By 1967, our children ranged in ages from five to nine. The oldest and youngest were boys. At this period of time, our boys were staying with my sister's family and our girls were with my brother's family. My wife had been hospitalized for an extended period of time and at that time was not able to be released to come back home. The old expression, the harder I try, the behinder I get, would be the best description of how I felt about life in general, especially that Thursday morning. Knowing at the beginning of the week I would be home alone, I planned all of the details, even picturing the knife I would use. Void of emotion, I rose from the sofa where I had been sitting and took my first step toward the kitchen. In that instant, I felt an unexplainable pressure on the top of my head. I felt like a huge hand gripping my skull as though it were a bowling ball. I did not resist the pressure. I allowed it to drive me to my knees. Without hesitation, I said out loud to an empty house, God, I don't know why you would listen to a prayer from someone like me, but I pray that you will bless me and prosper me. Amen. Still void of emotion, I stood up and carried out the normal functions of my day. I did not, however, go into the kitchen. As time moved on, I sensed God reverse the order of my prayer. He prospered me first and blessed me second, but not until Thursday, January the 16th, 1969. That is to be the second life-saving Thursday event in my life. To understand the weariness of my life, it'll help to have what I have been going through since December 31st, 1951. I was 17 years old and a junior in high school. It was on that night that I drank my first beer. Not one, but many. But the next 17 years, I drank almost daily, even getting drunk on school night 
and most weekends. Years later, I learned a valuable lesson through this experience. I've been teaching it ever since. We are free to do whatever we want to do as long as there is no one there to stop us. But we are not free to choose the consequences of our choices. At age 17, my thoughtless actions adversely affected the lives of at least six people I did not know at that time, my future wife and our five children. On the plus side, I was an honorable student. I never missed a day from school during my junior and senior years. A teacher informed me during my senior year, my IQ increased notably during my four years in high school. I worked part-time while in high school, full-time upon graduating. I've never been unemployed, fired, or had to ask for a raise. Every job I had, I started at the bottom and ended up at or near the top. And I was never ticketed for DUI, that's driving under the influence. In retrospect, someone was looking out for me, since obviously I wasn't looking out for myself. My older sister and brother and I were raised in a Christian home. My father had two primary motto rules. Peace at home is peace with Jesus, and there will be peace in our house. My father's job required him to work on Sundays, and my mother did not drive. But we lived within walking distance to the church, so we went regularly. I was a blue ribbon Sunday school student and usually first to fill my ribbon with competitive gold stars. I passed all tests necessary to work through the ranks in the Royal Ambassadors. I went forward and was baptized at 12 years of age, Easter 1946 at First Baptist Church, Richmond, Virginia. I knew enough to be saved, but was I? At age 14, our family moved into Henrico County. Weekends, summer campouts, hunting, fishing, and boating occupied much of my time when out from school. When factoring in Thursday, June 29th, 1967, my life was neither a satisfying experience for me nor for my family. Even so, I can now trace the hand of God guiding me through life without controlling my life. No, he did not condone my drinking activities. I know now he preserved me through my reckless foolishness while preparing me for a more noble call. On that June weekend in 1967, I was between jobs. I had worked my way up 
through the printing equipment and supply business, but the top slot was not paying enough to support my family. So I went from a job paying me a salary plus commission to a job selling automobiles, strictly commission, no sell, no eat. This job change proved to me an unconscious step of faith on my part, although I did not recognize it at the time, I was looking for change that this opportunity seemed right for me. I started selling automobiles June 5th, 1967. In the first six months, I earned double what I had made the previous year. Also unrealized by me during that time, God had prospered me first rather than blessing me first as I had prayed. Long story short, by 1970, after three and a half years selling cars, I was the number one salesman of Chrysler Plymouth products, Group C dealerships in Virginia, and number two in the Washington District. Backing up a bit, it was in November 1968, a fellow salesman, Earl Butler, now with the Lord, challenged me setting the stage for God blessing me spiritually. I was walking quickly across the showroom floor for the sales manager's office to get a deal okayed. Earl seemingly stepped out from nowhere, put his index finger in the middle of my chest, looked me in the eye, and asked me in a firm tone of voice. Tom Lacey, don't you think at time you did something worthwhile with your life? Brushing his hand aside with my left arm, I snapped back. I am doing something worthwhile with my life. I'm selling lots of cars, making big bucks, wearing nice clothes, eating good food, and drinking good booze. And I am taking better care of my family than I have ever before. This is the worthwhile life. But as I continued my march to the sales manager's office, I could not brush off his remark. Although those words rang in my mind from time to time, my life did not take on any immediate changes. At that dealership, the sales force was divided into five man teams for the December sales contest. The team selling the most automobiles by December 20th won a beef and booze dinner. All you could eat and all you could drink and it was free. In those days that was my kind of a party. Our team figured it rolled up our sleeves reworked our prospect lists, and outpaced the other teams to meet prospective buyers when they drove onto the dealership lot. And all of that paid off. We won 
The party was set for Thursday, January 19th, 1969. On the party day, I volunteered to leave work early and set up the dining room at the local restaurant. Not because I was most a nice guy, but so I could get into the drinking an hour early. As I finished arranging the room, I was drinking my second double bourbon and water. I set my drink on the table before me to light a cigarette. As I retrieved my cigarette, a waitress, unobserved by me, set a cup of coffee on the table and left the room. Momentarily, my moments seemed to be in slow motion. Mechanically, I placed a cigarette between my lips, struck the match, cupped my hands around the flame, and touched the flame to the cigarette to have a smoke. During this normal procedure, I had a never-to-have-happened-before out-of-the-body experience. I experienced being suspended in the upper corner of the ceiling behind my left side. I saw the glow of the match on the palm of my hand and my left cheek. I saw a back view of my body. I saw the half glass of bourbon and water. And for the first time, I saw the cup of coffee. Simultaneously, 17 years of my drunken activities rolled through my mind's eye. In shock at what I saw, I uttered aloud, that has to be the ugliest sight I've ever seen in my life. I do not want to live that way another day. God heard my prayer and immediately answered that prayer that was actually the last portion of my June 29, 1967 prayer. He blessed me. In that instant, at the snap of his almighty fingers, God blessed me eternally by delivering me from the 17-year-long siege of the sin of alcohol on my life. When the cigarette was lit, my gaze darted between the mixed drink and the cup of coffee several times. I reached over, picked up the cup of coffee, and I had never consumed a drop of alcohol, beverage alcohol, in over 52 years. I went home sober that night for the first time in many years. P.S. God took cigarettes away in October of 1969 in one snap of his almighty fingers. Because this happened the way it did, I date Thursday, January the 19th, 1969, as my date of salvation. I now know I would have literally gone to hell had I followed my intended plan that June 29th.
1967. In the wake of this experience, I confessed I did not fully understand what happened that evening. That is, theologically. I can only recount the event and describe it by stating my impression as to what I experienced taking place as it happened. Like many involved in life-dominating sin, I saw nothing wrong with what I was doing, the lifestyle I was living. Here is the crux of the matter to me. In order for me to view my life as God was seeing it, he had to remove me, spiritually speaking, from my body before I could see myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as he was seeing me. When I got the picture, my transformation was both immediate and complete, ending my problem with alcohol. Have you viewed your life and lifestyle lately from his perspective? It was in August 1971, God laid a burden on my heart for the incarcerated if given the opportunity, I would like to share that journey of my life with God. Tom, thank you very much for uh, giving us your testimony on how you were able to overcome alcoholism. There are a lot of people out in this world today that are struggling with that. And I uh, really appreciate those words. Um, in regards to your the rest of your uh, service uh, that you have done, and uh, for the Lord, uh, would, with those who are in prison and so many other things that you've done, we will have another podcast where we're going to be discussing those things and uh, looking forward to hearing more of your story. So thank you so much for your time today. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, this is Carl from Stan and Carl, and we hope you've enjoyed the testimony of Tom Lacey and how with God's help, he overcame alcoholism. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcoholism or drugs, we encourage you to talk to someone and get some help. And as you go throughout your week, remember Proverbs 25:11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Have a blessed day.